Would you pray with me? Reveal, O God, your wonder to our eyes and open our hearts to Christ's love. Disperse from our minds any darkness and fill our lives with your light. Protect us, O God, from thoughts without action. Guard us from words without life. Grant us wisdom to walk in your ways and open us always to the guiding of your spirit. Amen. I want to tell you about Karl Barth. Karl Barth was one of the most prolific and important Reformed theologians in the 20th century, and his writing, his work, is required reading in Presbyterian seminaries. His theological writings are powerful, they're difficult to read, they're generally reserved for academic settings, and for your theological pleasure this day, I have brought one of my volumes of church dogmatics. It would sound a lot better if Patrick Stewart was reading this, but today you have me. And just to get a sense of Karl Barth, I want to read a paragraph of his 12-volume, six-million-word-long tomb. Uh, For reference, the sermon this morning would end up being somewhere around 1,500 words, and they're small. God's revelation draws its authority and evidence from the fact that it is founded on itself apart from all human foundations. God's commandment, God's grace, God's promise have a unique force because they are without reference to human strength or weakness. God's work is triumphant because it is not bound to our work, but proceeds and follows it in its own way, which may also be the way of our work. God's righteousness has a demand on humankind, and God's faithfulness is in covenant with humanity And they are irresistible and irrevocable because of their confirmation. They need only God's own self and no corresponding relation of humankind. And all this is compromised and even belied, not only if we think of God's being as being unmoved, and if we think of it as anything other than self-moved, and it goes on and on and on. It is remarkable and is amazing, and it's really hard to understand. But one of the legendary stories about this deep and complex thinker, this theologian named Karl Barth, has been told and retold so often that it's almost apocryphal if it weren't for a handful of people still alive who attended when this story happened. It's been told and retold since Karl Barth did a lecture tour in the United States a few decades ago, and following one particular event at Rockefeller Chapel at the University of Chicago, Karl Barth took questions. And someone asked the theologian, I assume this was a really smart divinity school student, asked him to summarize his vast and complicated writings to its essential principles. And those in attendance were probably on the edge of the pews waiting for something abstract and intellectual. They were waiting on an answer that was made for theologians, and Karl Barth responded to the question with a single sentence. Jesus loves me, this I know 
for the Bible tells me so. The theologian known for his guiding and deep and complicated thinking offered a simple, clear foundation for a life of faith that is deeply meaningful and cuts through all jargon, so much so that even our children embody this theology. Jesus gets right to the heart of our faith in today's scripture when he offers a commandment to love one another as Jesus has loved us. In this commandment, there is a promise. There's a promise inherent in Jesus naming this commandment, which is that God is love. And Jesus has loved with this love, and that we then, by following the commandment, are called to love in the very same way. Easy, right? You know, this spring we have been engaging in worship around some ideas, some rhythms and practices of our faith that help strengthen our lives of faith and our faith in God such that they'll, they'll shape us to know more deeply what is sacred in our lives. I want to consider today what is sacred about being in community as a it's a, something sacred and guiding for, for our faith. You see, in some way, shape, or form, we all know that we long for community. We've felt it those months when we've been physically apart. We long for other people, for our relationships. And we need people to whom we can belong to regardless of our flaws, our, our understandings, anything else that can get in the way, we know that we need community. And now, if there were no greater example of how this longing is embodied in our culture, I might suggest, you may disagree with me, but I might suggest that there's a TV show that is known sim- uh, instantly by its simple song that embodies community When you turn on the TV, it goes something like this. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. I'm sure you could keep singing it. You probably don't want me to. But Cheers, that great TV show, gave us a model of community where people failed each other regular, often, and with great consistency. They could be counted on to perfect the art of letting one another down and missing the point for us in just about every episode. They failed so often and we laughed about their situations so knowingly. And still their forgiveness, their friendship, their care for one another also could be counted on. Now, it may have been fiction, but if there was any Boston tavern that could be nominated for the title of Cathedral of Loving as Christ Loves Us, I I might suggest Cheers as being one of the options at the top of the list. Now, just as an aside, when I was a boy, I did actually live across the street very briefly from the actor 
who played Norm on Cheers. Unfortunately, I cannot remember his name. I was only 12, though, when I, you know, when I, lived, when I lived across the street from him. Anyway, total aside. But wherever there are people, wherever there are people, community forms, community takes shape, and we need it and we long for it, but we also know that not all communities are made equal. They are not all the same. Community might simply be a group of people who share something in common and share presence with one another around that shared interest, but it does not necessarily mean that they will share a life together that is sacred, that is meaningful, that can be personally and communally transformative. But if you're looking for transformational community in the 21st century, a place that you might go that is regularly lifted up is an exercise movement called CrossFit. Now, CrossFit, just so you're aware, refers to cross-training, not to Golgotha. It's, it is a secular organization. But if you're not familiar with CrossFit, it is an exercise lifestyle that is built around strength training exercises, healthy diet and nutrition, and right at the heart of everything that CrossFit does, very essential to those workouts is encouragement, mutual encouragement. Now, CrossFit publishes a new workout every day, and they call it fittingly the workout of the day, and CrossFitters will call it the WOD. I don't get it, but they do, and it sounds awesome. So when you are running your own workout, or if you are working with a trainer, or if you are doing it with a group of CrossFitters at the gym, you know that you are joining thousands of people around the world who are doing the exact same repetitions of burpees, and deadlifts, and planks, and shuttle sprints, and all sorts of other exercises, if there were an exercise form of liturgy, CrossFit would be it. And if you enter a CrossFit gym, you will find competitive weightlifters right next to someone average, like me. There's all abilities, there's all ages in the gym, but they're still expected to hold one another accountable to their goals. And they do this with a positive encouragement. It is built into the ethos of, of doing exercise at CrossFit. So the competitive person will lift up the normal person and encourage them to meet their goals. And likewise, the person who's just there for a workout is encouraging the competitive person to accomplish their goals and achieve what they are trying to achieve. You see, ability is less important than the commitment to one another and to one another accomplishing the goals that they are setting out to do with enthusiasm, encouragement, and mutual support. 
Now, there are stories of CrossFit gyms that develop workouts to be published, and they name them after veterans who have died in combat. There are gyms that come together to finance the medical bills of a cancer patient who can no longer work out at the gym. There are stories after stories of how this ethos of working out together does a whole lot more than create a more fit society. There are rhythms and practices and exercises that CrossFit uses to shape people into a community that looks and feels, well, a lot like what we describe as being church. It's designed to take that commitment to a healthy and active lifestyle and build a group of people who are lifting weights into a community committed to one another that's far deeper than weights or mats or a gym membership. So when is a gym more than a gym? And when is a community more than a community? And when is a church more than the definition of a church? When is a church exactly what God made it to be? Jesus gives us a commandment that offers an answer, which is when the people love one another as Christ loves us. We know that communities of love and deep belonging don't just happen. They're not happy accidents. A church or a community that loves as Christ loves us comes from intention and commitment and listening and prayer. A church that follows this commandment is, is willing to work through what is hard and complicated so that it may let the love of God be known through the people. Communities that love like Jesus loves happen because they have received the gift of love. And they are able to articulate it simply like Karl Barth does. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, and these communities are committed to sharing it, sharing this love, this knowledge of this love, even when it costs something. Now, community is essential to a life of faith. Our faith cannot exist in the way that we live it without a community to live it in. We can't do this in the same way without church, and it's because we need one another if we are to love one another as Christ loves us. And this is why every time I hear that Beatles song, All You Need Is Love, I think to myself, well, almost. I mean, love gets a lot of lip service, right? We, we talk about it a lot at church. 
But if love is not committed, shared, if it's not part of our way of life, love gets lost among all the other things that are competing for our attention, that are competing for a place in our hearts. We can hear about God's love so much that it feels as regular an activity as doing the laundry. But loving as Jesus loves is less like doing our own laundry and more like doing laundry that belongs to a stranger or someone who frustrates us or maybe even doing the laundry of an enemy. When Jesus lived God's love in human relationships, Jesus loved without barriers. Jesus loved without hesitation. And the commandment to love one another as as Christ loves us is a call to just this, that Jesus loved the disciples who failed him, just like the cast of cheers loved each other. And Jesus demonstrated a loving encouragement that created bonds that were deep, like what we experience if we were a member at a CrossFit gym. But Jesus' love goes even deeper than this. Jesus showed a love that gets right to the gut of being human. Jesus loved in a way that may seem indiscriminate, but but Jesus' love was not random. The love that Jesus showed was careful and deliberate. It was well discerned. And God's love is expansive and it's persistent. Jesus loved where there was no love. And he showed love to Zacchaeus, who cheated his entire community. Jesus showed love to Samaritans who were supposed to be his enemy. Jesus shared love with the rejected and the misfits and the powerful who misused their power. Jesus shared love with those who disagreed with him and those who he disagreed with and those who no one else was willing to love. Jesus loved Judas, who betrayed him. Jesus loved Pilate, who washed his hands of Jesus. Jesus' love is deep and wide among all people. This is my commandment, Jesus says, to love one another as I have loved you. And so the, the rhythms of our faith are to turn to this activity of deepening our faithful communities. We are actively pursuing the living out of this commandment in every way that we can. which raises an important question. Who is difficult for us to love? Who is difficult for you to love? What barrier exists for you that you find it hard to break through to experience a Christ-like love for someone who you are challenged by? 
Is there someone who frustrates you? Or someone who has failed you? How about someone who voted differently than you and talks about it all the time and just won't leave you alone? Or someone who's unwilling to apologize? Or someone who has been dishonest? What about a neighbor who doesn't take care of their lawn? I'll be honest, that one kind of gets me. Or is it someone who's too aggressive, too persistent with their politics because they know that you disagree with them? What about someone who marches at the state capitol against gun control? Or someone who demonstrates at a Black Lives Matter rally? Or what about someone who makes you feel like your opinion is wrong? Or maybe it's someone who's just plain jealous all the time and names it and names it. Or someone who criticizes a lot. Or someone for whom you cannot live up to their expectations or doesn't seem to care about things that matter to you. Who do you find difficult to love? This is my commandment, Jesus says, to love one another as I have loved you. And don't we long for a sense of being together, especially where trust is hard to find, where, where people are divided from one another, where emotions or behaviors or expectations or opinions hold us back from fully embracing or engaging one another? It's good to know that God strengthens the church to love, especially, especially, especially when it is hard to do so. Deepening what is sacred about being in community as a part of our faith requires something of us. And when the followers of Jesus deepen their sacred communities, it starts by commitment and grace. And it moves into breaking through those complex barriers that hold us back from Christ's love and that hold us back from being able to share it with one another. Often this means going back to something simpler, something we know by heart, something that we remember that helps us remember that we are all God's children. For when we love as Christ loves, we get to the very heart of it all, just like that great theologian Karl Barth could. And we live by simple words. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And when the church loves as Christ loves, 
We live out the commandment with every person who we meet. But our words might change just slightly. For we might instead say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. This I know. This I know. This I know. Thanks be to God this day and always. May by God's Spirit we always know. Amen.